Africa, home to the most unique people in the world. A place that connects us through our customs, traditions, and even belief itself. Join Mukundi Mudao in Tribal Pursuit, a series that ventures deep into Africa to discover the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. Join the conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Hi FM, this is Trouble Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning. Time is five minutes past ten and it's Wednesday the 2nd of November 2022. The year is over, believe it or not. Well, we have about a month and some change to go, but the year is practically over because nobody actually takes December seriously, right? But do not worry, your friend Mukundi is with you until the end of the hour and we are going to have a good time. We got Travel Pursuit coming up and that means I'll be talking to a friend of the show today. Finally, right? I'll be talking to Rabbi Netanel from the Kenyan Jewish community and we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff today. And stay tuned for that. That's going to be in the latter half of the show, of course. But before then, I'm going to tell you everything that happened in Africa. I'm going to tell you what happened in Nigeria. I'm going to tell you what happened here in South Africa. I'm going to tell you something about animals. That's pretty cool. You should stay tuned for that as well. And of course, it wouldn't be Tribal Pursuit without music, right? You know me and my music. Sometimes weird. Sometimes very unusual. But always good. <laughs> but always really nice. So do stay tuned for that. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to do so. 34519 is how you SMS me. 061-895-1019 is how you telegram me. On air at highfm.com is how you email me. And for you Twitter fingers, at highfm. You do that, your friend Mukundi will see the message. We talk, we communicate, and we all have a good time. It's six minutes past, wait, no, seven minutes past ten. Mukundi, get your times right. It's seven minutes past ten. I'd like to start things off in Nigeria before I come back and talk a lot. I got a lot of talking to do, <laughs> to do today. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9, hi FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Time is 10 minutes past 12 and I hope you're enjoying your Wednesday morning. I have a message from my friend Gail who says, good morning dear friend, keep warm and safe. Thank you Gail. You keep warm and safe too. I refuse to believe that I only have one friend who wishes that I keep warm and safe. But thank you. <laughs> so this is, the, this is the time of the show where I tell you what's happening in Africa. And it's only fitting with the World Cup starting and every everybody so excited around it. I figured I might as well talk about our African Cup of Nations champions. Did I say that correctly? I think I said that correctly. If I didn't, then Senegal do forgive me. But yes... Senegal, our our representatives, the African representatives, if we can call it that, because technically speaking, they're the best team in the continent, in the continent, right? That's why they won the tournament, the trophy, a couple months ago. Anyway, they are ready for the World Cup. They say we won't hide from the fact that we know we have a good team with great players in each position, and it's time for the World Cup, our biggest competition. We won't hide, and we will give everything to play a great tournament. I think this is what we have to do. Now their mindset is already now their minds are already set on winning the World Cup, and I am rooting for them all the way. I think it's really cool that they're so confident and they're so happy and they're so strong. They'll be in Group A with the host Qatar. As a South African, it kind of sucks though that we're not part of the World Cup. When was the last time we won the World Cup? I think it was 2010, and that was by default, right? <laughs> Honestly speaking, that was by default. We were hosting, so we kind of, they kind of had to include us, right? I mean, <laughs> you can't come to my house and expect me not to play. But congratulations to Senegal for winning, starting there. 
winning the not the world cup the cup of nations and congratulations for making it this far and we hope they do well every other country every other african country and to everybody in the world cup actually i just want to say good luck play some good soccer and oh i'm sorry i, I don't want to offend people football play some good football because apparently soccer is derogatory these days <laughs> Onto the onto more pressing issues. I just wanted to talk about sport because congratulations to everybody that's going to take part in it. This is something that I found very controversial and I'd like your thoughts on it. Let me tell you about it first. UK museums willing to return skulls to Zimbabwe. What does that mean? London's Natural History Museum and Cambridge University have said that they are ready to cooperate with Zimbabwe to return human remains that were taken in the colonial era. The fresh statements come after a delegation from Zimbabwe held talks with officials from both institutions. The Zimbabweans are looking for the skulls of late 19th century anti-colonial heroes, which they believe could be in the, UK, in the UK, but these have not been found yet. Now, I wanted to talk about that because this is a conversation that's been happening for a while, actually. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've been following, not just with Zimbabwe, but everybody. There's a lot of countries that actually want their stuff back, and rightfully so, I believe. Because it's all in the UK Museum or the Smithsonian or I don't know, not not in the country they belong to, and I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. As much as I understand that museums museums are important and people have to come and learn about different cultures and history, I also believe that you got to take them back home, right? Let me know what you think. Three four five one nine is the SMS line. Oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine is the Telegram line. Email me your thoughts as well on air at highfm.com, and you can tweet me your thoughts at highfm. Let me know because I'm really adamant with the fact that everything that was taken—not everything, but most of the artifacts and items in museums—should actually be returned to their rightful owners and their rightful countries. Let them keep them in their own museums. Let them show them to their own people. Because and now, imagine if these remains are. In UK museums, kids from Zimbabwe have to travel to the UK to see their own history. Am I making sense? I mean, there's a, there's a line that I read a, f- a couple months ago where they said, the only reason, <laughs> the only reason the Great Pyramids are not in the UK museum is because they couldn't fit. Otherwise, they probably would be. And I don't think that's cool. As much as I understand the importance and the cultural importance and the educational importance of having these items in museums, I also believe that they need to go home. If you want to see Zimbabwe, Zimbabwean artifacts, go to Zimbabwe, right? Why should you go to the UK to see Zimbabwean artifacts? Anyway, I'm talking about this a bit too much. I'm getting a little bit too passionate. So I will swiftly <laughs> move along. Moving on to my favorite part of the show, the animals. This is sad, though. Sad story. Kenya's largest tusked elephant is dead. A female elephant believed to be Kenya's largest tusked elephant has died of old age in the East African country. Well, that's good, I guess. She died of old age and she wasn't poached because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of ivory there. Anyway, Dida, known for her long tusks, was estimated to be sick to be between 60 and 65 years old. The life expectancy of elephants in the wild is, is estimated at around 60 years. Wow, Dida, you did the bare minimum. Really? Come on, I should have pushed... You know, 68, somewhere there, 70. But a, a, a long life and a life that seems well-lived if she was famous for her tusks. <laughs> she died of natural causes due, due to her old age, the Kenya Wildlife Service announced in a tweet. The elephant lived in the vast Savo National Park in southeastern Kenya, known for its wildlife. 
by the way speaking of savo have you heard about the savo lions i gotta tell you about the savo lions this is crazy i remember a few years ago i was watching national geographic and i was i was, I was watching a documentary about the savo lions is these lions that just went rogue and started killing everybody apparently these these were man-eating lions don't don't take it from me take national geographic's word for it okay don't take my word for it these these lions were eating people and they're considered to be some of the most dangerous lions to ever live because they ate a lot of men there was unfortunately they were working on a railway and it was easy picking for the for the cats (laughs) anyway i just want to tell you that google the savo lions when you have time i promise you you will not regret it it's some of the craziest stories about about lions and animals you will ever read Back to the story, female elephants often live in close-knit families and have young calves by their side, while males tend to be more solitary. Dila's death comes almost a month after the death of another famous elephant in the Samburu Reserve, an arid expense in northern Kenya that is facing one of the worst droughts in 40 years. Poor elephants, poor animals. But that is all I had to tell you. 19 minutes past 10 is the time. On a 1.9 high FM and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning. I'm not alone in studio, by the way. I always forget to do this and I do apologize to this dude because he's, he's looking right at me. Craig, I'm sorry. I'm not alone in studio, okay? I have Craig. He presses all the buttons while I, while I talk and keep you entertained. So thanks, Craig. You're doing good. He gave me a thumbs up. Not a man of many words. Definitely not. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. Thank you for staying tuned and we are about to start talking to a friend of the show. Who am I talking to? Rabbi Netanel from the Kenyan Jewish community. And there's a man that's been all over the continent. Remember how I talked to Rabbi Silberhaft? This is Rabbi Silberhaft 2.0 as well. He's also traveled the whole African continent. I guess they just love it that much. Interacting with all these Jewish communities. And I just wanted to find out what is it that he, that made him do this and I just, if you have any questions for him, <laughs> do ask, do, do send them through. 34519 is how you do that with SMS. 0618951019 is how you telegram me. On air at highfm.com is how you email me. And I'm sure you know it by now. At highfm is how you tweet me. So do not go anywhere. We will be back straight after some of these ads. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9, Hi FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. We have a friend of the show today, Rabbi Netanel Kasovitz, straight from Kenya, and we are going to be talking about a lot of things today. Rabbi, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. So we were talking earlier before we got on air about how you said you dealt with a bunch of different communities all across Africa. Could you tell me some of these communities that you've dealt with? All right. So first of all, I'm based here in Kenya. Um, I work here with the Jewish community in Kenya. Besides that, there are a bunch of smaller communities in the area that I go out and I visit once every few weeks, uh, every few months, depending on the community, how far they are. Um, and these communities very much vary. So there's a community in Tanzania, in Arusha, uh, led by Yehuda Kahalani, that is the Yemenite community 
they escaped from Yemen about 200 years ago and came there. You have the Abu Yadaya in Uganda, and I have interactions with all other small Jewish communities in the area, but those are the two main ones that I deal with on a more daily basis. Mm. And you travel to these communities and you work with them. What? How do you work with them? What do you do when you get there? Do you teach them about Judaism? Do you give them... Yeah, so it really depends on the community because each community is a bit different. Uh, some it's more of their knowledge. Some of them it's more of technical things. In the community in Tanzania, I'll go there, I'll do a shkita, a slaughtering of chickens and such so that they have kosher meat. It's dealing with, you know, sometimes helping them fix their Torah or look at, you know, bigger things or smaller things. I try to go out there every once in a while so that they have also someone to ask questions to in a more formal way while I'm there. It helps it helps build up the community. In Uganda, it's mostly to go and teach as the community is built very, very well as a small community. Um, this is in the community in Puti, led by Enosh and Shira, KKSY, led by Tarifon, Alicia and Aaron. So I'll go out there and I'll sit there and give more content of uh, just teaching classes more more than anything else. And do you see any similarities between these communities in terms of be it their customs or just anything that they do? Do you see any similarities or connection between all of these communities that you visit? So not really. The thing the thing about African Jewry, which is interesting, is really the source of each one of these communities. So when you have a community like in Arusha, it is based off of the fact that they are a Yemenite community. So some are Jewish, some are not. Um, it has to do with halachic standards of is the mother Jewish? Were they Jewish at all? Did they become Jewish? But they're following Yemenite customs, which are very, very strict and very, very particular. And they have traditions that come with Then you have commu- the community in Uganda, for example, that has no Jewish history in their past. It's about a hundred years ago the head of the community decided to go towards Judaism and started to lead Jewish life. And from that place, they decided that they wanted to go through a conversion. Some converted themselves, some went through a conservative conversion, and then there's a group that stayed and about 10 years ago went through an orthodox conversion. So their process of learning and doing things is very, very different. The mentality also in Uganda and uh, Tanzania is surprisingly different for those of you who know the the region. Their their customs and behaviors are just very different in many, many different aspects. And you said African Jewry is usually based on the culture and not necessarily the religion with that being said a lot of these communities and cultures actually do things differently you know how you like you said if to be halakhically jewish you have to be born from a jewish mother but we know like the remba they actually follow the father's line instead doesn't that create some sort of controversy there and uh raise questions about their their jury themselves Okay, so first of all, we need to understand who is Jewish and why does this matter? The reason that we go according to the mother is you always know who your mother is. You don't always know who your father is. So 
where you come from is you come from your mother. Your what's called Yichus, where your lineage is as far as who, when it comes to are you a Kohen, are you a priest, are you a Levite, or are you a Israel, that has to do more with your father's side. And when we're talking about, you know, I'm related to so-and-so, it's usually we're talking about from the father's side, but the mother's side decides if you're Jewish or not. This is something that we've had in Judaism for already a good 2,000 years. The Lemba actually claim that they are one of the lost tribes. They have a pretty strong claim in general, which most of these communities do not. But the Lemba has one of the strongest claims to being a lost tribe. The strongest claim of all time was the Ethiopian Jewry. That's the most famous one is the Ethiopian Jewry claim that they're, they're a lost tribe. And they come back uh, as the tribe of Dan. Their story is different than everyone else because there was an actual historical connection between them and the rest of the Jewish world. Mm. In the time of the book Kings, Sefer Melachim, there's a split in the kingdom, right? So King David has a son, King Solomon, and he has a son, and basically there's there's a split in the kingdom. There's the kingdom of Yehuda, the kingdom of Judah. That's where Jews come from. Mm. And then there's the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And that is a split. It's an important split that people sometimes miss. But basically at that point in history, we split into almost two completely different nations. Our customs are similar in almost every single way, but there's a lot of infighting in those two parts of the nation. In the, in, in the book of Kings, the kingdom of Israel ends up being exiled. And those are the 10 tribes that we lose in history. We don't know where they go. And later on in the Gemara, there's a lot of discussions around this of, are they coming back? If they come back, are they Jewish? Do they need to go through a conversion? Do they become just like all the rest of the Goyim, all like all the rest of the Gentiles? Or are we keeping them? And this was a discussion that was like really rendered moot for a very, very, very long time until the Ethiopian Jews came back. When the Ethiopian Jews came back, suddenly it was a discussion again of, oh my God, we have this group that is coming from Africa that claims that they are us. We're the same. We're brothers, mm-hmm. right? But how did this happen? How, like, are we bringing them back? And this was a big discussion in Israel. And after it was accepted that they, they came back and they are part of the Jewish people, and we marry, we marry Ethiopian Jews and Ethiopian Jews marry us because there is no difference. Mm-hmm. Then there were other tribes that started popping up. And this started raising more and more questions. Do we just say anyone who says he's Jewish, we accept? And the answer is obviously no. Mm. We don't accept anyone because in Judaism, it has to do with proof. You have to prove that you are Jewish, that your lineage is Jewish. And we say it goes through the mother's side because otherwise there's no way to really prove that your father is who he says he was. So we have a tribe of B'nai Menashe that comes from India and, and the southern part of China, and they came to Israel. And again, all of these groups that came to Israel all had to go through conversions. This is a whole other topic of why they go through conversions and what kind of conversion but they have to go through a conversion. After this started happening, you started having tens, if not hundreds, 
of communities, of tribes in Africa saying, we're Jewish. And people said, okay, we don't believe you. Where is the proof? Mm-hmm. They say, we're Jewish. We always knew that we're Jewish. Bring us to Israel. Now, you have to be a skeptic in some of these things and say, someone is living in a village in Africa. What will they do to be willing to move to a developed first world country that is has great economy and is doing wonders around the world? Who doesn't want to move there? Fair enough. So, of course, if I say I'm Jewish and I can get out of here, and by the way, this was not unique to Africa. We had this people who are saying this from Russia and Ukraine trying to escape war and trying to get out and say, I'm Jewish too, mm-hmm. right? And just to get out, they come to Israel and are not leading a Jewish life. And we had this with a bunch of groups also inside Ethiopia that piggybacked on the Ethiopian Jewry and showed up to Israel and filled up the Ethiopian church in Jerusalem. The Ethiopian church in Jerusalem was empty for God knows how long. And then the Ethiopian Jews came, and with them, you can't you can't walk down that street anymore on a Sunday because the Ethiopian church is full. And that means that there were a bunch of people who took advantage of this and came as well. So this is not just about who's making it to Israel, but this is more about the fact of who is Jewish and the future of the Jewish people. Mm. As Jews, we only marry Jews. Okay? Mm-hmm. It is part of the religion. Is We marry outside the religion. You don't marry outside of the religion. You marry outside of the religion. If you're, if you're a Jewish man who marries a non-Jewish girl, your kids aren't Jewish. Mm. Right? We said it goes according to the mother. Mm-hmm. So, if we have a group that says... We are Jewish, let's say in Zimbabwe, let's take them as an example. And they move to Israel and my daughter, my son wants to marry their daughter who their kids won't be Jewish, right? So it's very important for us who is Jewish for many, many different reasons, which we don't need to get into, but there's an importance. The Lemba tribe, the Lemba tribe has a tradition that ends up going back to basically their exile. And when they were exiled, the 10 tribes, or so they claim, okay, it's very hard to prove any of these things, but their path is they get exiled to Yemen. From Yemen, they cross over to Africa, start making their way down. Eventually, they get to Zimbabwe area, okay, which means Zimbabwe, Zambia, South Africa, right? Like they're in that entire region. But they're keeping it quiet. Why are they keeping it quiet? Because they were chased out from place to place. It's part of Jewish history is being is being persecuted and being chased from place to place. So when they come to South Africa, so when they come to like the whole South African region to Zimbabwe, uh-huh. they actually keep quiet completely. And they stop doing circumcision on the eighth day. And they say to remember that it's on the eighth Something, we'll do it when the kid turns eight, and we'll do it in the forest, and we'll do it in all these ways. They have a shita, a slaughtering of animals, very similar to ours. They rest on Shabbat, okay? They didn't know what yes to do, but every no one works on Shabbat and everybody rests. And they have a bunch of other small things like this, and they say, we always knew that we were priests of, of something. And this was our belief. 
after 2,000 years of being chased from place to place and living in hiding, you lose a lot of the tradition. You lose a lot of the prayers. You lose a lot of things. And from that point of view, from a religious point of view, and in the end of the day, a halachic point of view, which matters, which we need to see for the future of the Jewish people, and not just accepting anyone who feels Jewish and would like to be Jewish, mm-hmm. right? But actually, if you would like to be Jewish, you go through a conversion. And a conversion means I am putting my faith in with the Jewish people. I am going to be one with the Jewish people, come what may be. So for that, you go through a conversion. And unlike other religions, it's not a one week or a day type of process. It is a year or two or in some cases, an eight-year learning process. But you learn. And after you're done learning, you go in front of a convert in front of a committee. You go through circumcision. You go through a mikvah, okay, a body of pure water. And it's, and with that, you accept all the mitzvahs. You say, I am accepting that I am Jewish. After that, there is no turning back. You went through a conversion, you're Jewish. Mm-hmm. But there are standards and rules and this is why also, by the way, right, you asked a bit beforehand, before we were on there, about different communities that I accept and don't accept. So as an Orthodox rabbi who abides by halacha, I accept Orthodox versions, right? So when someone says, I went through a conversion because, you know, I just decided that I am, and I went and I, you know, I dunked myself in the Nile, then I say that's very nice, but that does not make you Jewish. Okay. And our rules are strict. Let's call it an exclusive club, right? We have rules and we abide by those rules and we don't break those rules. And that's why if I went back 3000 years, I can have a conversation in the same language with the same context as my great, 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 great grandfather. 3000 years back, I can go back and have it speak Hebrew and understand each other and talk about in Judaism and understand each other, anything that does not have to do with history or technology, right? Mm-hmm. But about, we can talk about Kashrut. We can talk, we can have these conversations because we're sitting in, it's the same religion. And that has to do with being a strict religion. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not an all-inclusive religion, right? Like, not the point of Judaism is not we're an all-inclusive religion. We're a tough religion. And I don't encourage people to convert, as that is not what Judaism does. But if someone wants to convert, I work with converts all the time. They are the most serious Jews. They take their Judaism very seriously. I have a lot of respect for them. But it's hard. And you need to know what you're getting yourself into. So this... This has nothing to do with the fact with the person that actually wants to convert to Judaism or the person that relates to Judaism. This is everything to do with the fact that you're trying to protect the community and keep everybody in the community safe in the sense that you don't want any assimilation. And like you said, somebody marries somebody that's not Jewish. Now the whole bloodline is ruined because somebody else wasn't Jewish. So, so let's say like this. Let's say you wanted to convert. Mm-hmm. Let's say you wanted to convert. Okay, the rule, that's fine. You're more than to go through a conversion. However, the conversion needs to be serious. We need to see that you're, 
You have to go and live with the Jewish community. You have to understand what it means to be a Jew. And it's not you show up and we say, okay, you want to convert? Show up tomorrow and we'll convert you. You would move to the Jewish community in Johannesburg. You would go to the synagogue every single day, three times a day. You would go there for all Shabbat and holidays. You would lead a Jewish life while you're learning in the process. And after you finish all of that, then you stand in front of a Beit and go through a conversion. But people need to understand it's not about keeping the bloodline. It's keeping... The Jew, keeping Judaism alive, and in this day and age of assimilation, yeah, that's more important than ever, keeping the Jewish faith alive, keeping the Jewish people alive. Mm. There's a lot of anti-Semitism on the rise, keeping the Jewish people alive. This makes a difference. It's not about, let's convert as many people as we could so that we'll have as many allies as we could. Mm. It's about keeping real and not making it modern in a way. I do a lot of things very, very modern. And I think that to an extent, we need to take a modern approach in some things, mm. but you don't adapt your, you don't adapt Judaism to your life. You adapt your life to Judaism. Okay. Mm. And I think that's how you make it modern is you would find the way of how am I adapting my life to Judaism as opposed to adapting Judaism to my life, which is one of the big arguments and differences between Orthodox Judaism and conservative Judaism. Conservative Judaism often will say, I have my values and I will adapt Judaism to fit those values. Mm. And you see the transformation that, that conservative Judaism has taken and reform Judaism even more so in a way that it's not it, reform Judaism and Orthodox Judaism are no longer the same religion in many, many ways. And in a hundred years from now, they will be completely unrecognizable from each other. But I actually wanted to address some or go back to something you said. I see we don't even have a lot of time left. You said that you only help the communities that have converted or the people that are interested in converting to, to become Jewish. But I wanted to ask about communities that are self-taught Jewish communities or communities that already identify as Jewish and they say since we're already we're already Jewish we don't want to convert I believe that we don't it's not our job or it's not my job to determine whether or not these people are Jewish obviously you're a bit more invested in it since I myself am not Jewish but I believe that we should help everybody however we can regardless whether or not they're actually Jewish if they say they're Jewish then we'll try our best to help them how we can but I see, but I see it seems you and I don't share that sentiment or, or did I get it? Did I get it mixed up? Okay. So who are we to say who's Jewish and who's not? This is exactly what halacha is for is saying who is Jewish and who is not. Right. Mm-hmm. The fact that and someone I identifies as something. That. And I understand that. And I understand the fact that she's saying. Yeah. Halachically, those people are not Jewish. Therefore, we will not help them. It's not about not helping them. Uh-huh. It's not about helping them. It's it, it's they're, they're not a part of the community. Okay, mm. they're not a part of the community in, in any way or form. They are allies, and it's important to have allies around the world and to and to be nice to people and to work with people. And I'll walk down the street and people ask me for blessings because 
I'm, you know, I'm Jewish and they're very excited by that. And I will sit down and have a conversation with anyone about anything if it's done respectfully. I don't mind. Mm. But saying that they're Jewish because they identify as Jewish means absolutely nothing to me. Okay, like with all due respect to everyone out there who feels Jewish, mm. it, it's not our religion is not about your feelings. There is an objective truth. Are you Jewish? Is your mother Jewish? Did you go through a halachic conversion? If not, then you're not Jewish. And the fact that you feel connected, I teach them. I actually work with some of these groups, mm. some more than others. Okay. Um, some more than others, but I have a, I have a large group over here who says, we feel very connected to Judaism. And I say, terrific. You can become a Noahite. A Noahite is a non-Jew living by Jewish law. Okay. Which means you realize that the truth is in Judaism, but you're not going to go through a conversion. Mm. So that means that, that means a great deal. Like in, Christianity or Islam, the goal is we have the truth. Therefore, the whole world needs to hear our truth. And Christianity for 2000 years went around butchering the world, right? Crusades, Holocaust, pogroms, anyone who does not accept Jesus, we kill him. Okay. For 2000 years, a historical thing that people are forgetting, but Christianity was extremely violent for 2000 years. And then they calmed down in the past 70 years after the Holocaust, right? Like there's like a bit of a calming down with, with Christianity and anti-Semitism. And Islam picked up the slack, right? And Islam basically says, we need to make sure the whole world is Muslim. And everyone needs to know that there's a prophet Muhammad and that there's Allah. And if you do not accept this, you must die. Now, that is an ideal if you believe you have the truth, right? If you believe you have the truth, you want everybody else to have the truth. It's the history of the entire world. The Romans take over from the Greeks. What do they do? They give them their new gods. They say, like, now we're the rulers. You go by our beliefs, right? This is why a big part of actually understanding why people conquer is to impose their beliefs on the rest of the world because they believe that what they're doing is good. Otherwise, you know, like why, why impose it unless you don't believe that what you're doing is for the best of the world. Another discussion for another time, mm. but with Judaism as a basis, we don't want the world Jewish. We have no interest in the world becoming Jewish. This is not a hierarchy. Okay. I teach like Noahide groups all over the world and discuss this. This is not a hierarchy. It's not that I'm saying Jews are over here and everyone else is down here. It's not there. It's not the discussion. The, the discussion is what's my job in the world? What's your job in the world? Okay. And that's important. It's important because like these things actually make a difference. So when people tell me I want to be closer to God, okay, I want to do what God wants for me. Therefore, I want to be Jewish. I said, there is no basis to what you're saying. God does not want you to be Jewish. Okay. If you want to be Jewish, that's one thing. But if you want to do what God wants for you, God wants you to be a good human being. 
What does that mean? There are seven Noahite rules. Okay? Believe in God. Don't worship idols. Don't kill. Don't steal. No adultery. Don't eat parts of living animals. And, 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 and create justice systems that work according to this. Mm. Be a human being. Don't kill. Don't steal. So the, the, what God wants from the world is to be decent human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Don't kill, don't steal, don't rape, don't have idols. If everybody believes that there's one God, that's terrific, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 most conflict in the world if we all believe in similar things. Judaism has no need for, for people to convert, right? I don't want you to become Jewish. I want you to be a good person. If you're a good person, great. You get your place in the next world to come. You know, it's not a hierarchy. But my job in the world as a Jew is to what? To be a light upon the nations. To be basically be a teacher. Lead by example. Right? So we have 613 commandments, but the rest of the world has seven. And our goal is not for the world to be Jewish, unlike the other religions who want the world to be like them, we don't. So the fact that someone says, I identify as Jewish, means absolutely nothing to me, just like if someone tells me I identify as <laughs> as anything else that is other than what you are. You can feel connected, you can, you can come and you can keep the seven Noahide commandments, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to basically say someone... When you have a community that tells people, you, I'm Jewish, and it's basically comes from a place of, I stopped believing in Jesus, therefore, by default, I'm Jewish. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. Yeah. I was actually about to say, we, we, okay. we might be running out of time. But this is a conversation that I definitely want to have in the future. That's a conversation that we'll definitely have another time on the show. Rabbi mm-hmm. Netanel, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. My pleasure. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Wow. There's a man who doesn't mince his words, but I do want to continue speaking to him. Let me know if you'd like to hear me talk to him some more. That is a conversation that I think we need to continue having. And I will do my best to try because I feel feel like that man has a lot more to say. And I have a lot more to hear. <laughs> I'm willing to sit and listen to that man tell me his opinions all day. Yes, Gail says, phew, Mukundi, that was an interesting interview. I know. <laughs> I know, I really want to continue it. That was really interesting. But unfortunately, we are out of time. The good news is I'll be back in seven short days. Do take care of yourself until then. Enjoy your coffee, enjoy your Wednesday, enjoy the nice weather until the sun comes out again. And we will be complaining about the heat and how miserable we are. From Craig in the studio, I say enjoy the rest of your day. And as always, until next time, enjoy the rest of your day.